Welcome to America's Top Rebbitons. May this class be for Rafu Shalema, for Roberta Batmaya, and Rabbi Yaakov Benahuva, and also for Sarah Solika Hadassah Batrut. Please click on the subscribe button to subscribe to us on the America's Top Rebbiton YouTube page, or click follow to follow us on your podcasting app so that you are the first to know when an inspiring new episode is posted. I am so honored to have on today's show, Rifki Khan. Rifki is a director of outreach for Brooklyn NCSY. She's also a Hashkafa instructor for Project Makom, a bridal marriage and mikvah educator for My Gift of Mikvah. And she also trains and mentors Kala, Kala teachers across North America, Britain, Israel, and Australia. Wow. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. Wow, that's a mouthful. <laughs> I'm intimidated just listening to you. Um, Vera, just first, I want to thank you so much for having me. Um, it was a real big honor for me to be invited to speak. And I can really only aspire to be half as great as all the other Rebusons on the podcast. So again, thanks so much for the opportunity. <laughs> thank you so much for being here. And you are already amazing. And we are so excited to hear everything that you have to share. Thank you. I guess I'll start a little bit about myself. Um, I wear a lot of hats. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've told you this before, you know, I'm a teacher, I'm a teacher of teachers, I'm a community supporter, um, I'm a mom, <laughs> I'm a wife. And when I got married, I became an accidental Robinson, so here I am. <laughs> but none of these roles were ever part of like my bucket list, my life plan, you know? Um, I became Torah observant, um, and I, as I was climbing the ladder in, in the corporate world, I ran the data and analytics teams for Amazon, for L'Oreal. Wow. I had, I had upwards of 30 reports. And um, that's amazing. I, yeah. I, <laughs> I spent almost a decade in that world. Um, and then fast forward now, <laughs> I work in Cura full time. So I made a total life change uh, yes. in many ways, um, a pivot in my career. Um, you know, I worked 120 hour weeks when I was at Amazon, and that was the norm. And Kirov is no different, except the difference with Kirov is that it's more personally, personally meaningful for me. Um, in my role here at NCSY, I run social, educational, and experiential learning programs, and they're primarily targeted toward middle school and high school students, um, all backgrounds. So, and you know, if you think about Brooklyn, and I love, I, it's funny because I'm from California, but I love Brooklyn. I do not want to leave Brooklyn. Everyone um, meets me and they're like, you do not sound like you're from Brooklyn. Like, why do you like it here? Everyone else wants to leave. <laughs> but it's such a Mecca. It's a, it's really such a beautiful is. place. And yes. there's so many Jews here, so much history. And in my job, um, I really try to cater our programming to the needs of the kids and the people in our community. Okay, so beautiful. like- what I do right now, um, you know, is we run, like I said, tailored programs. Uh, we have students who've never heard of the word kosher or Shabbat uh, or synagogue. Wow. We have traditional NCSY branch for the, the modern Orthodox student for boys and girls in yeshivas. And then just last year, I launched and founded 4G here in Brooklyn, uh, which is a girls only program targeted toward from high school girls. And that division really strives they cater to our girls at home, you know, our mainstream based Yaakov girls who are looking for community, for meaning, for purpose, for connection, and want to grow. They want to be part of something. And that really, that came and it was inspired by my work in Kirov, Kirovin before this, which preceded my outreach work for many years. 
Um, and I guess I really learned um, from all of my personal and work experiences in the community that everyone, regardless of their background, regardless of their knowledge level, we all have the same questions, the five W's, the who, what, when, where, why, is that how I get all of them? Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and being brave enough to ask those questions is exactly where I got where I am today. And that's, that's why I'm a proud Balshuba. That's so beautiful. And then you provide that forum, you provide that space for others to ask those questions and to dig deeper into their Judaism and to make it more personal to them and to really connect to Hashem through the forum that you provide, which I think is so, so beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) So today is going to be a very special show because we are going to hear the true journey of a Balchuva, and that's you. The term Balchuva means master of re- the return. Teshuva is to return. That's what the word means. And a Bal Teshuva is someone who did not grow up Jewishly observant and later returns to observant Orthodox Judaism. And Rifki Khan is someone who did exactly that. The story of how she grew up in a non-observant home and the path that she took, which led her to become the extraordinary person she is today and to merit doing all of the wonderful things that she does for the Jewish community today is incredible. Rifki, I am really, truly, honestly excited to hear your story. So I want to start from the beginning. Can you please tell us about how you grew up, what your home life was, home life was like, what your parents were like? Did you have Judaism in your life when you were younger? Like all about your childhood and growing up. Okay. Um... Okay. Well, I'm a Cali girl through and through. As soon as I open my mouth, as soon as I shake, you know, I shake someone's hand or I give them a hug and they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are right. you up to? It's <laughs> not a New York thing. I'm from Brooklyn, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, we traveled for swim meets and soccer tournaments on the weekends. We ate trafe at neighborhood block parties. We were just like every other family in the, in the community that we lived in. My nuclear family members are not observant. Um, and I didn't get bas mitzvah until Israel, until I went to Israel years wow. later, right after college. Wow. In terms of uh, practice, the only thing my husband, my not my husband, excuse me, my family, my nuclear family was ever really machmir on was Friday night dinners. So there was, it was Thanksgiving style, you know, in the secular sense, all the cousins, all the extended family, lots of music, lots of laughing. Uh, all the adults had wine and beer. <laughs> you know, Sounds and, fun. <laughs> yeah, it was a blast. Every single Friday night, that was where we were, where we had to be. There was no getting out of it. Everyone came. And um, my my mom put out these gorgeous candles on the table every Friday night. And they belonged to my maternal great-grandmother. And the adults were super protective of these candles. The kids were not allowed to touch them. And we didn't know why. Uh, all we knew is it was a tradition and it was like an heirloom and it belonged to our great grandmother. Um, but other than that, uh, we really didn't have much Judaism in our, you know, in our actual observance in our house. Um, we didn't, I didn't even know what Yom Kippur was or Rosh Hashanah. I had never heard of Passover until I got to college. Wow. Uh, all of these, the word kosher didn't mean anything to me. I knew I was Jewish, um, but we were Jewish, <laughs> you know, like we were proud to be Jewish, but it it didn't mean like, oh, I'm going to marry Jewish or, oh, I want to have a Jewish family. Or, oh, excuse me. Or, oh, I want to have more Jewish traditions. It, I, I think partly because um, my, if we go back in history, my great or my grandmother um, was born at the end of the depression um, in Los Angeles. And those, those are really tough times. Yes. She, as a late teenager, um, chose to leave observant Judaism. She was born into a rabbinic family. 
and she left Judaism. And so my uncles, my aunts, my mom were all raised with, you know, a you know, observant or ritualistic practice of Judaism is cult-like. It's not good. It's, you know, it, it prevents you from getting jobs. And and that's really how she viewed it. So by the time you skip like two generations and you get down to me, that's how we got to where I was. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. So, okay. So your parents didn't even grow up observant. observant. So, okay. Wow. Yeah. And I can't believe you didn't know about Passover until college. That's that's significant. That's so okay. So you grew up with a very minimal knowledge of Judaism and what it really meant to be Jewish. You knew you were Jewish, but you didn't have a deep meaning. You didn't have a connection. You didn't really. It was just a word. You didn't know what it really and truly meant. Yes. So when did you start to think that maybe there was something more? Maybe there's something more than like the fun Friday nights. Like, what was the catalyst in your life? What happened to you in your life to prompt you to take a closer look into Judaism and to want to learn more? Mm-hmm. Um. Huh. That's a hard question. I guess if we if we narrow it down to three people, mm-hmm. okay, because there's never really one moment in a person's life that is, makes like an aha moment, right? It's rather a series of events. And there were three people I came across over the course of five or six years. Um, so this was my college all the way through like right after college. Okay. Um, and these people were really the catalyst for me to start considering the value of my heritage, what that meant. Um, so the first person was Karen Padowich Snyder. She lives in Chicago now. And she was also from California. And she kept inviting me and the other Jewish girls. And we were all totally secular except for her. She was straight off the boat from Nevay, like the high necklines, the, the, you know, all the way down almost to her knuckles. And she was great. And we were competitive. We were in the business program together. Um, we partnered quite a bit on projects. And, you know, I didn't really think of myself as so Jewish at the time because I'm like, well, you're Jewish, I'm Jewish, that's great. But like, you know, you, you look like, you know, whatever, like Amish, <laughs> and I'm just doing my thing, <laughs> you know, and um, I guess she must have known, you know, because she, the way she befriended me, um, I really admire her tenacity and her convictions, and um, I'm going to cry. Anyway, I, I really hope that she's listening, or she will listen to this. Um, the second person was a guy named Michael. Um, he was a coworker. One morning, I and I worked on down in Wall Street when I graduated college, and uh, he approached me in the office one day in the kitchen, and he says, "Hey, are you Jewish?" And my maiden name is Engel, <laughs> so <laughs> makes sense. There's a like, clue. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, you're not allowed to say that to me, like in the workplace. That's illegal. And he's like, no, 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 don't worry. Listen, I am too. Listen, we're on the same team. You know me. Like we met like five minutes ago. <laughs> And he's like, listen, there's there's like a, a young professionals class at this place called Manhattan Jewish Experience. It's all going to be young professionals like us. going to be free food. You can be my wing woman. And I'm like, dude, I just met you. <laughs> you know, I'm like, but at the same time, I didn't really know anyone when I moved to New York. I, okay. you know, I grew up in California. I went to right. college in Boston. And then I moved to New York without really knowing a soul. So wow. I was thinking, okay, well, he's Jewish. I'm Jewish. He, he seems like really excited about being Jewish. And you know, there's free food and maybe I'll like it. Maybe I'll make why some not? friends. Yeah. yeah. So why not? And so he's, and I'm sitting there going back and forth with him, kind of debating. And he sees I'm 
you know, a little bit ambivalent. And then he throws the Jewish guilt on me, which is something, by the way, I grew up with. Okay. <laughs> we all do. And he's yes. like, well, don't you want me to marry a Jewish girl? <laughs> and I had remembered listening to Karen, who got married not even like three or four weeks after we graduated college. Wow. How important it was to marry Jewish. And it, it just stuck with me. Like these little things, these inconsequential moments or things that people say, they have no idea how it affects another person or, you know, what, how it might affect them down the line. The impact, um, the impact. When you say something, you may even be saying something to somebody in passing, just in passing. And it may have such a tremendous, like life changing yeah. effect on them. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I had no idea because the moment he said, don't you want me to marry Jewish? And I was like, oh, well, yeah. And so I went to the class with him and the rabbi invited me back the next week. And before I knew it, I went every single Tuesday night, every single Tuesday night. I didn't care if I was working 120 hours. I didn't care if I was working 18 hour days. I left in the middle of, you know, dinner time or whatever. I went to Manhattan Jewish experience on the Upper East Side. I went for class. I had my notebook. <laughs> um, I had like 50 notebooks <laughs> yes. and um, and then, so I guess the next person, so there's Karen, there's Michael, and then there's Rabbi Feldman. There's the rabbi from the Manhattan Jewish experience. Right. Um, so Rabbi Feldman at the time was the director of MJE on the Upper East Side. And for me, he was really the first, I guess, rabbi type person that I had really connected with. Um, he really encouraged me to be uh, intellectually curious and intentional about my Judaism. He never pushed me. He never gave me ultimatums. He never said, do this or else. He was motivating and inspiring to a person like me who actually happens to be a right brain person because I'm a mathematician. Okay. <laughs> That's what I did when I was in the corporate world. Yes. <laughs> so um, he just, everything made sense to me. He seemed very authentic. Well, he is authentic. Yes. Um, yes. He himself is a Bolshuva. So I, I found that, you know, everything he was saying just made sense to me. Um, and at one point, uh, I actually just forgot, I forgot about this until just now. Um, at one point he invited me to take a, a seminar with his wife, uh, Robinson Shifra. And I met with her every week on an off day, not on Tuesday. So I added another day of Torah class. Beautiful. And yeah. I met with her once a week with another, a, a small group of young professionals around their table. And we met in their building and we learned what prayer offers us. And we even wrote our own prayers. And this was like a totally foreign concept for me. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, like, where do I start? And it was so hard for me to come up with a prayer because it was such a foreign concept. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's so beautiful. You know, this is such a beautiful intention because it makes you think more deeply about what prayer really is. You know, if you're going to write your own prayer, you have to think about what is prayer? What am I trying to say? What, you know, where does my heart and soul want to go with this? And I love that you're talking about MJE because it's a very, very important organization and it's in, located in New York City. I happen to know a lot about it. So Rabbi Feldman was from the MJE East Side. And if you happen to be on the West Side, it's Rabbi Mark Wiles with MJE on the West yeah. Side. And they run beautiful, beautiful classes of all different types, all different um, areas in Judaism. So I'm, I'm mentioning this just in case anybody listening to this wants to check it out. It's called MJE, Manhattan Jewish Experience. If anybody wants to Google it, it is it is wonderful. So I'm so excited to hear you talking about it because they have they have services on Friday nights. They have services on Saturday. They have classes throughout the week, as you were mentioning, um, for young professionals and even for older singles. I, I must, you know, I want to say it's for singles, for, for couples. 
um, it's a really wonderful organization. So yeah. go ahead. <laughs> um, no, actually, I was just, I'm tearing up. I, I'm very emotional all the time. <laughs> People can tell you that. I'm like very emotional. I'm always crying. <laughs> uh, but Rabbi Feldman and his wife actually escorted me down the aisle when I got married. And they stood Beautiful. under the chuppah with me and my parents. And it was a very magical moment um, for me. And I, I imagine for them, because I don't even... I don't even know if they were looking at me as like, oh, she's going to be from, oh, she's going to be like a rabbit or oh, she's going to be this. Like, they probably were just like, I just want her to like learn about kosher or learn like what being Jewish means. And then the next thing you know, years down the line, here I am. And it's really, it's, it's such a testament to them. And I have such, so much Hakaris Satov, um, you know, to all the patients and, and all the guidance that they gave me. It's really beautiful. Thank you for mentioning that because that is beautiful. Like they really go out of their way to help people. Like the fact that they walked you down on your wedding, like that's such an yeah. intimate, such a personal occasion. So I'm so glad that they were yeah. able to be there for you also in that capacity. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and then you said that there was a third person, right? And it, well, wait, you said Karen and then Michael from work. Okay. And Rabbi Feldman was the third person. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure that we had everybody <laughs> covered. Okay. I didn't want to shortchange anybody. <laughs> so... Now that you knew more about Judaism and you were keeping, you were keeping some of the mitzvot, right? Like you were, were you Shomer Shabbos at this point? Or when did you start beginning um, to keep Shabbos and to keep kosher and that kind of thing? Yeah, it, um, because my journey was so slow, um, I, I, I don't even know, I don't even want to call it slow because there's no, there's no speed that someone's journey should be. Right. Um, you know, there's this, uh, there's a stereotype of, of a Balshuva and like what their journey is, you know, and uh, you go to a, a free Torah class and then within a few months to a year, the rabbi sends you off to Israel and then you come, you learn Torah and then you come back a totally from different person. I never drank this Kool-Aid, you know, I did things as they spoke to me, as they, as they made sense. And I told you I'm a right brain person and the, and the rabbi also thought it was so funny um, that what spoke to me, what speaks to a right brain person is halacha, to rules, to structure, to, to all of that stuff. So believe it or not, the first thing, the first thing I took on, and it wasn't even in any particular order, it just spoke to me with Sanias. I, I spent a lot of time with Bells Hasidim in Muncie. I spent a lot of time in Borough Park by Satmir and Bubba families. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, I was, I guess it was my version of what Sanias was. and all Modesty. These, Modesty. modesty yeah yes. mm -hmm. i had my bulletproof you know stockings that i got from borough park my leopard mini skirt and i had a shell from the shell station only a shell but for me i was inspired and i was on fire and that imagine that imagination that inspiration just kept growing and you know they say that the people in our lives are put there for a reason at the time that they come into our life a hundred percent every single rabbi like rabbi arye roy from um from uh, muncie they just i also had uh rabbi mizrahi um here in brooklyn well he lives in muncie but he came to brooklyn every week for a class at a sephardic synagogue yes and you know there there were so many rabbis and so many people that i came across and they they challenged me just as much as i challenged them it's funny because i um I am the type of learner who has to have a source for everything. Okay. You can see like part of my, <laughs> part of my very 
large library behind us. We actually have a whole room full of safaram. It's my own safaram, not even my husband's. Oh, <laughs> and um, I, I'm a learner. I love learning. I'm just, I like Rabbi Feldman always encouraged me, be intellectual, be curious. Um, yes. So the next thing I took on was kosher. I came home one day and I threw every single thing out of my kitchen. I mean, the paper towels, the plasticware, like the actual dishes, all the food I cleaned. I even accidentally threw out like one of the, what are the things called? The shelf units from yes. the fridge. Because I was like, okay, I'm just going to dump everything. I'm starting over. It's going to be awesome. Wow. And, um, you know, I thought it was funny because I thought for, for a while, probably for a good like year or two, that the only kosher store that existed was pomegranate in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn, so, <laughs> that's yeah. funny. <laughs> so once a week, I mean, it's so silly if you think about it, but it's not, you know, because if you're new to this journey and you, you don't, don't know. know what questions to ask you, you don't right? know. Nope. So every single week I would hire car service and I'd schlep all the way to pomegranate. I'd fill up an entire car and I'd schlep home. And I was so proud that I was keeping kosher. Um, and then I guess the very last thing I took on was Shabbos. Um, Shabbos was hard for me because uh, with my family, um, you know, my my mom was going through some health issues at the time and I didn't want to leave her in a panic and God forbid something were to happen. Right. Um, and so it took me about a year, year and a half of, you know, me leaving my phone on but and like looking at it. And if she texted me, you know, just to check in, I might like, I might like look at it and I might like touch it, but I tried not to do anything. I would do it with like an, a sheen, like an unusual way. Cause the rabbi had said like, oh, if you have to do something, do it in an unusual way. So I was trying to, uh, I was trying to uh, adopt to that and take on halacha in a way that was slow and right. in a way that I could do it at that time. Right. Um, I guess it's also kind of funny if you think about it, I, I, uh, when I, again, during that time I was growing, I had, I had a lot of questions and the rabbi wasn't telling me all or nothing. Uh, there was a, there was a time where I would carry my subway card, like right here on my shoulder in between clothes. Yes. And if so, and I thought to myself, well, if someone else swipes the card, I'm totally keeping Shabbos because technically I'm not carrying, it's just resting on me. If someone takes it from my shoulder, like a total stranger in the subway, okay, and someone else swipes it, I'm not turning on the, the train. So yeah, I guess it was a bit of a process. Very creative. That's very creative, okay? Yeah, yeah. But you know, you you because you didn't grow up observant, when you're going from like completely unobservant to observant, you're going slow, you're, you're exactly, it's not all or nothing. You know, it's not a hundred percent. You can't, you can't, a, a human being just can't go all or nothing like that. It's a slow and gradual process. And then eventually, you know, you take on more and more and more within the mitzvah, like, you know, yeah. in terms of keeping Shabbos, there's so many little things, little details involved in keeping Shabbos itself that you eventually take on more and more and more. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> was it difficult for you? Like you, there are so many mitzvahs to do with Shabbos, Kashrut, you know, as you get married, mikvah, um, you know, and there's, so, there's 613 mitzvahs. I know we don't, not all of them apply to us in this time right now, but there's so much to do in Judaism and the holidays and everything like that. Was it difficult for you to take things on, you know, as you did? Um, it wasn't difficult because halacha made sense. Okay. What came last and what I was missing because the questions I did not focus on and the questions I didn't think to ask were the hashkafa. Why am I doing this? How can I make this meaningful for me so I'm not just a robot? Right. <laughs> you know, and that is what I provide and I hope to provide for the students that I work with. 
the why. Why do this? Why is this meaningful to me? You know, what? find your why. Right. So that's exactly what I'm going to ask you. That's my question. Why is it meaningful to you, to you personally? Yeah. Um, Judaism is meaningful to me for so many reasons. Um, one is that, you know, you, you we learn from our forefathers in the, in the Torah, in our Bible, how to, you know, that first of all, that no one is perfect. Everyone makes mistakes and that's okay. Yeah. You know, no one's perfect. We're all on some kind of path, right? We're on a roller coaster, whether we're going backwards or up or down or forward. Our goal is to grow, right? And to be better people. And in the mitzvahs that we do, the actions that we do bring us closer to serving Hashem. Um, so that that part really has always really resonated with me um, because I've always liked psychology. I've always um, been interested in sociology and self-betterment and self-development. That's beautiful. And that's, and then you made Judaism meaningful to you through that, through your way of thinking and understanding about it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> right. That's beautiful because people come at it, you know, people come at it for so, from so many different angles, you know, and yeah. it's, and there are so many uh, approaches to it. And what's meaningful to one person may not be meaningful to the other. And it's so personal. Like, that's what I want to emphasize. That it's so personal. Just because somebody uh, approaches Judaism one way doesn't mean that you have to do it, you know, the, the exact same way. And that's also the beauty of the religion, because we all have our own personal connection to God. And it's really, it's that. It's our own personal connection. It's our own personal intimate relationship with him and the way that we connect to him. So I, I just think that's so beautiful. And so like, now that you knew more about Judaism and you were keeping many of the mitzvahs, what was going on inside of you? You know, you were making such huge and beautiful changes in your life. How did you feel about what was actually happening in your life and the direction in which your life was going? Because it really was different than it had gone before. And it sounds like it was different than your family members also. Totally different. Yeah. Um, my Most people in my family, either, uh, everyone went to college, went to a, a top college, <laughs> uh, college and graduate school. That was like the path that I was expected to go down because that's what everyone did, right? right. Um, everyone either owned their own company, worked in corporate America in a senior position of some sort. And so I was technically, I was actually doing that. I was living right. that. Right. I, it was a weird dichotomy, I think, that I, I was feeling em empowered. I was on top of the world. I have all this newfound knowledge. I have this wisdom. This is where I'm supposed to be. But also, I felt trapped. Um, I was struggling to work, to work and live in both worlds, meaning the Jewish world of observance and the corporate world. Um, I very, with my rabbi's guidance, I. Um, I slowly kind of transitioned out of going to trade restaurants for business meetings. I started to, you know, either declining or, you know, requesting other alternative meeting venues instead of socials and drinking parties right. with my coworkers. Um, and then, you know, I think one of the other things is the values uh, really just were very different for me um, than what I was seeing that around me in the corporate world. And I'm not saying that everyone in the corporate world is like this just some of what I observed, um, you know, working 18 hours, being focused on money, on, on achievements, right. on raising through the ranks. It didn't really seem like it aligned with my, my new Jewish way of living. Right. Um, I, I remember I had a coworker who scheduled a, a C-section birth for her baby, like on a Thursday 
and she was back in work working 18 hour days on Monday morning at seven in the morning insane yeah and I had another co-worker yeah I mean all of these things I kept seeing it was so clear to me like I don't want that um another I had other co-workers who had full-time live-in nannies and they were never home I mean how right. can you be home they never took their kids to doctor's appointments they weren't there for bedtime or bath time or breakfast no you and can't I just, yeah I didn't I didn't want that it just didn't seem like that what those were the values that I wanted to right. live Right, right. Exactly. Because you can't be there for bedtime and bath time and drop off and pick up and carpool if you're working 18, 20 hours a day. It just doesn't jive. It doesn't blend together. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I don't it's think there's any right or wrong way to right. live one's life. But for me, that just didn't seem like the way that I wanted to live my life. Exactly. It's, it's a values choice for each person yeah. individually, for them specifically. So yes, for sure. So, so then, so then what happened? So you were working in this high powered career, you're a high achiever. Then what happened after that? You, so you're, you're, you know, you have conflicting values, money versus, versus holiness and helping people and community. So how did that, how did that play out in you? And then what was the result of that? Um, so it's really interesting because during that time, Rabbi Feldman was encouraging me to try out different communities, you know, to see which one I felt, you know, resonated with me like felt like home where I felt inspired and I actually redirected a lot of those feelings of uh, that of um of feeling trapped into empowerment okay and again that was with a lot of help I mean a lot of hand holding yes <laughs> you know there was a lot of me venting and crying um yes. but at the same time what I didn't need to be crying I realized that um you know, if I just spend some time with some observant families and Shabbat.com was critical for that. I met so many of the families that I'm close with today through Shabbat.com. So nice. Um, and uh, there were two families in Muncie that I really, really connected with. And I would say that at that point in that juncture, when I was, I was at Amazon still at that point, um, they were critical in that stage of my journey. They were both uh, the, the mom on one of the families uh, went to Neve. She's Balashuva. And then the other family, the father was a Balashuva. Um, wow. Yeah. And so, but they had chosen that Torah lifestyle. I, I love, I absolutely loved, um, not that I was like crashing at their houses, but <laughs> I loved staying up late and drinking coffee at, you know, five, six in the morning, going on walks with the family, um, just soaking up their wisdom, learning in person experiencing what it's like to have a jewish home um one of the families i i was actually there so much that they gave me their guest room for i had like an open invitation i had clothes there they had like they had me buy my own you know my special linen just for myself and it was really so special for me and it really seemed for a while that i was destined for muncie uh, wow <laughs> okay really seemed like I, yeah <laughs> <laughs> Muncie is a great place. There's a lot of uh, Jewish infrastructure there. They, they have supermarkets, they have clothing stores, they have restaurants, they have schools, they have a lot going on in Muncie. And actually, now that you mentioned it, uh, Shabbat.com is run by Rabbi Benzion Klatsko, who lives in Muncie. And for yeah. anybody listening, if they don't know, if they're not familiar with Shabbat.com, you literally go on the website. That's the website, Shabbat.com. 
com, and you can find places to stay, not just in Muncie, but all over the world, really. You know, you type in where you're going, you know, let's say you're visiting, I'm making this up. Let's say you're visiting Omaha, Nebraska, and you want to go to somebody's house for Shabbos. So that's what you type in, and they match you up with other families, other Jewish families that live in Omaha or wherever it is that you're going. And they invite you for either Friday night dinner or Saturday lunch or, you know, if you're going on the holidays, maybe they'll have you at that time, too. So it really, really is a beautiful resource. And that's Shabbat.com. Yeah. Um, It's interesting that you mention all the infrastructure that they have in Muncie. Um, There a lot of, you know, there's a Rabbi Klatsko's house. He had used to have hundreds of people just sleep everywhere in every nook and cranny of the house. It was amazing. And there was a very big single scene multi Shabbos where, you know, all the singles would uh, file into, uh, I think it's called Shelly's Pizza. It's been a hot minute. Yes, Shelly's Pizza. Pizza. I know exactly where that is, yeah. People came from all backgrounds uh, and, uh, you know, secular, like I grew up, uh, people who had been on their first Shabbaton ever had their first Shabbos experience. Uh, We had uh, people who grew up observant, um, but were now kind of questioning their way. And it's interesting, I mentioned that, you know, we're putting each other's paths for a reason. For sure. That was, I keep talking about all of these, this domino effect of people coming into my life and changing yes. my life and changing my direction. And I just yes. kept going and going and going. Yes. Um, they, I was spending so much time at that pizza shop and spending so much time really in Muncie that I ended up spending so much time there, Monty Chavez. Um that I befriended a lot of these people who were from Muncie or from other communities who grew up observant and now were questioning why, you know, how. And uh, there was this one girl who I roomed a few times with over um, different holidays. She was totally turned off by Judaism, but she had grown up, you know, Orthodox. Yes. And she shared with me that um, her family doesn't know, but secretly she didn't do anything. Um, you know, she, she was, and she said to me, Rifki, I'm worried I'm going to be a bad influence on you. And it actually happens to be that maybe one or two weeks after she shared this with me, um, she ended up being the one to teach me what a bracha was at Shelly's. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I was, I keep telling you that I'm, I'm, I'm such a learner. Um, and I was always, I was always, I was at this point again, I'm just going, 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 going. I, I'm just on this path of growth right. and inspiration. Yeah. And I was on such a high that in my spare time, I wanted to, to wax poetic. I wanted to share like, you know, at Shabbos tables, by Onegs, Kadeshim, um, by the pizza shop, everywhere I went. And um, so I started doing that and people were interested in what I had to say. I don't even know why, because I don't think I'm inspiring. And I don't think anything I have to say is inspiring but I do like to share my insights that I come up with. And that's and, beautiful. Um, that in itself is, is so <laughs> like, it's so worthy. It's such a golden nugget there. Yeah. Um, thank you. Yes. <laughs> Basically that, that pizza shop turned into me, I guess a waxing poetic <laughs> turned into people bringing their friends, yeah. bringing their friends. Um, next thing I knew people were asking me a Balshuva, a fresh Balshuva at that point. Okay. To give Hushkafa lectures, to run inspirational programs, Shabbos programs wow. <laughs> for that, that group of people who grew up Orthodox, but were questioning the um, irony of the situation, <laughs> a Balshuva who grew up with no Jewish education. So, and that, to be honest, if we take a step back 
And people ask me, well, how did you get recruited to NCSY? It all started there. Right. It all started. That was the beginning of me working in Kira. This set a chain of events that led me to see very clearly that I wanted to fill that void in the community. There was a call and I was going to answer it. Right. Right. And so, okay. So, and as you're answering the call, as you're, you know, you're about Chuba now, you're doing what's meaningful to you. You're, you're, you're living this life that you, that, that you want to live you, with your Jewish values and your mitzvah that you're keeping. How, how do the people around you, you know, uh, react to that? Your friends, your family, just people who knew you, they're watching you go through this change. And you, now you've really made such a significant difference in your life. How did they react to you? Yeah, um, I had mixed reactions. Okay. Um, I had very mixed reactions, and that's totally normal. Um, it's funny because my uh, my non-Jewish friends were super supportive. Um, I actually had an intern who um, who uh, who was from uh, for from Germany, from Dusseldorf, Germany, and he had never seen a Jew in his life except for me. And he said, "Ricky, you don't look Jewish." I'm like, "What does a Jew look like?" Good question. You know, <laughs> right. What does a Jew look like? He's like, well, I don't know. Um, I'm like, you know what? There's this, there's this event. And this was actually years before where I'm at now and years before I started doing this stuff in Muncie. Um, he, I said to him, you know what? There's actually the singles event in the city. Why don't you come with me? Like he was with his girlfriend. <laughs> so I wasn't trying to set him up or anything, but then he wasn't Jewish. But I said, you know what? Why don't you come with me and my friends? There's a, a, an event called Hala ween, <laughs> you know, yes. and I brought him there with me and he said, Ricky, no one here looks Jewish. There's only one person in this whole club that looks Jewish. I said, who, 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 what do you mean? Everyone is here is Jewish. He's like, well, there's only one person that looks Jewish. They're tall, they're pale skin, they have dark hair and they have a big nose. Okay. And that just a, that's just exposure, right? And it, it's so interesting because there's so many stereotypes that we even have about ourselves. Yes. You know, true. what we're capable of, who we are, what we represent. And, oh, I'm sorry, you know, Brooklyn. It's okay. <laughs> it's it all get, good. It might, it might get loud. <laughs> no problem. Um, would you like me to close the, the window? Nope. It's all good. Sure? Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, it's funny that I guess think about this is that, um, you know, when you think about destiny and Judaism, I was destined to follow my family's path, but I always had one foot in both doors. I was always in the corporate mindset, but I also was super interested and passionate in teaching and coaching and motivating. Um, I actually ran after school tutoring programs in college. I was a big sister. Uh, and in high school, I was a, a volunteer teacher assistant at a local elementary school, and I ran soup kitchens by myself. Wow. <laughs> so I always wanted to be a part of a community and give back. Those were always values of mine. And um, I think I really got that from my family. My, I'm just thinking back for a second to uh, family stories. My great grandmother who left Judaism yes. was very involved in the Boyle Street Jewish synagogue. So, and that was in Los Angeles in the 19, early 1900s. And that was when um, LA had the largest concentration of Jews west of the Mississippi. So wow. all the Jews that were migrating were going to Los Angeles to Boyle Heights at that point. And it, in my great grandmother's, a lot of stories about this, that um, 
she ran a food pantry from their house, Amazing. similar to Masbia today. And she was very involved in the Baker Colum Society. She even helped secure a building there locally uh, for Jewish patients. And then that building today is now Cedar sinai Hospital in Los Angeles. That's so I amazing. Guess, I guess that drive for being involved in the community and giving back, it, it just runs in my blood. Yes, for sure. <laughs> it must, it must, it must. And now I'm going to ask you, like, it, this is a very, this last question was a very important one. I mean, now that now you've told us your beautiful story and how you came to this point in your life, and now that you are fully observant, can you, like, looking back, can you give us some reflections looking back at your life and all the challenges that you went through along the way in order to get where you are now? And my question to you is, it's a good one. Do you feel like your journey was worth it? You went through so much now that you're here, and of course, you're going to continue to grow 100%. But from the point that you are now, do you feel like your journey was worth it? And why or why not? Absolutely. Um, I don't believe that things um, don't happen to us. I believe that they happen for us. For sure. Okay. Had I chosen to go to a different college, would I have met another Karen? She was hospitable. She was warm. She was accepting, unconditionally ac accepting. Wow. Um, she was fiery about Orthodox Judaism, but she was cool enough to hang with someone who was secular. Had I chosen a different line of work, had I not gone into the math field, would I have ended up meeting that coworker, had I even, would I have even have met up, ended up in New York? Because initially I went to college in Boston. Most of my friends ended up in Chicago or right. London yep. or Los Angeles. Yes. Um, would I have met that coworker who brought me to Rabbi Feldman's class? Right. Would I even have thought twice about going to a Torah class? We don't know, but destiny proves this is why I am here today because of these, these events, you know? It's a domino effect. Um, I, I guess my my these passions for for learning, for growth, for for sharing have really become my life's mission. And and luckily for me, I'm paid. <laughs> it's a paid right. job now, and I'm so blessed. I have this honor for for working for organizations that really em embody the same values that I hold dear. It's so beautiful to see that because you really do, you, you're living, you're living who you are. I feel like your job, I feel like your life is very authentic to who you are. As I say, you're living in alignment. Like that's a new term right now. You're living in alignment <laughs> with, with your values, with your goals, with who you are. And it's so beautiful because not only are you, you're, you're benefiting yourself. You, you know, when you live with the, the values that you believe in, you're benefiting yourself and you're happy and you're fulfilled but you're also helping other people on their journey and on their path and find meaning in their lives, which is so, so special. And they, each of them had their own journey had, that you impacted them, you know, and if they were interviewed, they were going to, they were talked about you to tell about how much you impacted them on their journey and in their story. And I just think that's so beautiful and so special. I really wanted to recognize that about you, yeah. that, yeah, your journey, your journey is so beautiful. And I want to thank you so much for sharing with us. So thank you. Thank you so much, Rifki, for joining us on America's Top Rabbitsons. It was so much fun to have you here with us. And may the tremendous learning that we did today be for Afua Shalema, Roberta Batmaya, Rabbi Yaakov Benahuva, Sarah Salika Hadassah Batrut. And thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you so much, Vera. <laughs>